I thought a couple of weeks ago that we had done a kind of a two-part series on talking about running a race of faith, and, and I thought, you know, that, that after that, you know, I was kind of done, and then last, last week there was just this other, this other thought, you know, not just of each of us is running a race, uh, this race of following Christ, and it, that the, they compare it to a race in the Bible. It wasn't just that, that we're all in a race, but that there's spectators watching, and sometimes we're the spectators in other people's lives, just cheering and encouraging them uh, to, to run and to, to keep going. And then last week, we talked about the idea of being that person who runs with others, that, that being a part of the team, and, and not, just, not just watching, but being involved and in, in running together. And um, I'm not, uh, I'll be around the next couple of weeks, but I'm not speaking the next couple of weeks. We've got some guest speakers coming in. Gary will be here next week, and he's always good. Uh, it's going to be a, a definitely a, a good time. And so um, I just thought, how can I just kind of wrap this up um, the, this, uh, this morning? And so I just want to sh- sort of share the last, uh, kind of the last thought along this, uh, along, along this theme of, of just running a race. Um, if you're listening online, we're glad that you guys are, are here as well, and hopefully if you had a chance, uh, if you did miss some of the previous ones, you can find those online on our website or on iTunes, and I encourage you to do that. So this morning, I don't really want to talk about something that's probably, it's probably not brand new for, for, uh, for you here. If you've been a follower of Christ, you've probably heard some of this uh, stuff before, but there's always these things, that, these good reminders that we can have in our life. Uh, there's bad reminders too. I don't know if you've ever had these lights in your uh, rearview mirror and all of a sudden this is that reminder of what the speed limit actually is. It's like an instant reminder. And then there's other reminders that are good, like the oil change sticker in your car. That's a reminder to change your oil before you blow up your vehicle, your van or whatever it may be that you drive. Maybe for you, that's all you need to hear today. You're going to go check your sticker and you're going to be like, I saved you a lot of money. So, but they're good reminders. Uh, and so, you know, over the of the last couple of weeks, we talked about um, some, of, some of the different parts of the race, but tonight, today I want to talk about the idea of the detours and the distractions and the bumps along the way that try and get us kind of, get us off our course and that reminder to, to stay the course. Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he was a murderer who, uh, who, who Jesus found and he received uh, Christ as his Savior, it totally changed his life. He wrote about the truth that he had learned to, these, to, um, to the churches around that area. He actually went and planted and started these groups, these followers of Jesus that would meet in, in these homes or wherever they could. And so they, he started all these little churches. And then as he went from church to church, he'd write letters back to the churches where he had previously been. And one of those letters was to a, a church in, in this place called Galatia. It's a real place. It's modern-day Turkey. Uh, this was about 20 to 30 years after Jesus had uh, left the planet. Paul had planted a church there, and he writes back to them, and he says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He says this, you were running the race so well. You kind of never want to hear that, you know? If, you were, if you're running a race and say, yeah, you were doing good, which means, obviously, at this point, you're not doing that good anymore. He says, you were doing so, uh, running the race so well. Who's held you back from, uh, from following the truth? That idea of holding you back is who's kind of distracted you? Who sidetracked you? You were running so well, but, but all of a sudden he says, I hear through the grapevine that you guys aren't, you're not on track anymore to where you were at the beginning. And he says in verse 8, it certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. The truth is that we've been called to live in freedom. And so he said to them, it wasn't God who did it. He says, it's a false teaching. It's like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. He says, it's this dangerous, this dangerous little distraction that can affect the whole, the whole rest of your race. He's like, it's getting you off course. So as we, as we you know, if you go back and you read through the, the previous chapters of, Galat- uh, of Galatians, this letter, if you read the earlier parts, 
Paul starts talking to them and, and talking about this idea that they were, they were holding on to the law of Moses as well as this idea of faith in Christ. They thought, you know, Paul had gone to them and said, listen, there's a man who came to this planet. He said he was God. He said he was going to rise from the dead. Nobody believed that. But then he did die and he rose from the dead. And if he can rise from the dead and conquer death, he can conquer it for you. And all he said you'd have to do is believe on his name and you'd be saved. And people are like, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. And he says, all, he says, all of your sin, all the past, all that stuff, it gets washed away because of what Christ did for us. And he says, that is freedom. Just live in relationship with God. This chance of having father-child relationship with the God of the universe. He's like, that is the truth. And then he left. And then these other guys came and said, yeah, what Paul said is pretty good. This idea of you can live in relationship with Christ, but, but. You know, Jesus was a Jew, and in our Jewish culture and Jewish customs, we have these Jewish laws that you, you also need to have. The laws of Moses, you need those as well. So not only should you just believe in Jesus, you need to be a good person now too. He says, you also need to keep all these laws. And yeah, and there's this one little thing called circumcision. We'll explain it later, but that's part of the ritual as well. And they're like, okay, you know, if it's good, I'll take two. Whatever is like the thought, right? So they're like, I'll, uh, I'll go this route. But, but Paul, um, Paul's writing to them saying, listen, you guys think, he says, you think that by holding on to the stuff from the past, that that's a part of leading you to life? He says, that's what they're trying to tell you? He says, that's just going to bring you death. I remember the story of hearing back in the days and, uh, and just, you know, looking some of these things up online, realizing how uh, in India and in, in South America, especially in some places in Africa, where they have tons of monkeys, these monkeys are incredible pests. They steal all their stuff from the markets and everything. And, and so in some of the places, they, they want to try and capture these guys alive. They, they, you know, they're not shooting the monkeys out of the trees. They try and capture them, send them to zoos, or if they can capture them to ship them uh, for monkey meat, there's some bounty on these guys. But catching them's the problem. And so what they discovered is that the, knowing how monkeys think, they would take these little gourds or a coconut and cut a small hole in the top, empty out what was inside, and put some nuts or fruit inside this, this uh, coconut. And then they'd tie that to a chain or bury it in the ground so it couldn't move. And when the monkeys would come, they'd stick their hand in and they would grab the, the nuts or whatever's inside. And as long as their fist was clenched, they couldn't pull their fist back out through the hole. And they would just walk right up to them and capture them. And they think, man, these monkeys, they're going to let it go for sure, right? But it's funny because those monkeys, they don't let it go. They actually hold on thinking that, you know, this food is more important than whatever's coming. And Paul's saying to them the same thing. What the monkey doesn't realize, as long as he's holding on to that, death is at the end of, of this decision. And he's, Paul's saying the same thing to the, to the people of, of Galatia. He's like, if you keep holding on to the law, and you think holding on to that's going to bring you salvation, it's going to bring you death. And for some of you here this morning, you're like, well, we're not holding on to the law. But for many people, they're holding on to other things. You've got your hand in the coconut of unforgiveness, and you just can't let it go. There's somebody who's done you wrong, and you just can't seem to let it go. And you're holding on thinking it's going to bring about something better in your life, and it's going to bring death. For some of you, it's like the past. You just can't let go of your own past. You believe, yeah, I believe Jesus has forgiven me, but I just, oh, there's certain things that you just hold on to. For some, it's pride. You got stuff that's going on in your life. You're just holding on to this things of, of being too proud to tell somebody, too proud to reach out and say, I need some help. And you're just, you're holding on to that, not realizing it's going to bring death. For some, it's sin, different addictions, different behaviors, things that you just say, ah, you know, for, you don't even realize, but you're so, uh, so tightly clenched to that, that the only thing on the other end of that is death. And Paul's saying to them, he writes them and saying, it's this idea of you're holding on to this law and it's going to bring death in your life. He, and he begins to explain to them what's happening on the inside of them. 
And he lets them in on this little truth that's the same for all of us. And he says this in Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. He says, so I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. You think the law is part of, you know, helping you find salvation? He's like, let Holy Spirit guide your lives. And he says, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what your spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. All of a sudden in this verse, Paul writes them and he begins to explain to them that there's a whole lot more going on on the inside than just this, just this kind of idea of living through life and you know, uh, serving God or getting sort of stuck in trying to keep the law and not being able to do it. And he reveals some things about them and the same things about us. Do you realize that there's more to you than meets the eye? The person you see sitting beside you, there's more to them than just what you see. You're not just a body. We've been created in the image of God. And as you, as you hear that song, which said, you know, um, uh, how great is our God? He's Father, He's Spirit, He's Son, three in one. Well, we've been created in that same image. And so uh, uh, this illustration is the best one that I could find that would just show us kind of who we are. Three, three in one. Spirit, this yellow one in the center, each and every one of you is spirit, eternal, lives forever. That, that's the real you. You have a, a, a soul, you've got a mind, you've got will, you've got emotions that, that affect your everyday, and then you live in a body. You know, this body is not you. That's why when you go to a funeral, they're all like, well, that's not him. He's not really there. It's just the body. But you're these three parts, the spirit, uh, the soul, and the body. And what, what Paul's trying to explain to them is understand what's happening to each part inside of you. When you become a follower of Jesus, the spirit part of you becomes 100% perfected automatically, not because you did anything. It says Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, it automatically 100% makes your spirit perfect. It's your spirit part that goes to heaven someday. It's your spirit part that can be in the presence of God without getting destroyed because it's sinless. Not because we did it, but because Jesus did it. And so a lot of Christians, they walk around, they're like, I'm a follower of Christ. I feel like I'm forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. And then they sin and they're like, oh, well, maybe, maybe I'm not going to make it anymore. You know, I don't know. But then they go to church and like, oh, I went to church. I feel a lot better. You know, my spirit feels better. I'm probably going to heaven again. And then Monday they sin and they're like, oh, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know. It's not that fragile. When you think about what Jesus did on the cross, we think sometimes it's like this idea of this is the level line of salvation right along here, that as a, as a Christian, I accepted Christ, and now I'm on the top of this, I'm on the, on the upper level going, going up someday, and it's like I'm doing good. And then, you know, when you sing, you feel like, oh, maybe I'm not, you know, I'm on the, on the, on the bottom side of salvation. And Jesus, is, is, uh, his, the truth of it is, and what Paul is explaining to them is that he says, you know, you're here, you're saved, your spirit is 100% perfected. When you sin, you go down to here, maybe if you go down at all, but you're not below salvation. It's not that fragile. You are still on your way to heaven as a follower of Christ because your spirit has been 100% changed. It's been, uh, Paul describes it to the Corinthians as saying, um, you've become totally transformed as a spirit man. Something uh, miraculous has happened. He says to to them in 2 Corinthians, he says, uh, any man who is in Christ, they're a new creature. 
Something has never happened before. They're brand new on the inside. All the old is gone. And, it's, you know, it's, my kids, uh, every, every fall, they get monarch, those monarch um, butterfly caterpillars. They get those caterpillars, and they bring them into our house. And so they always find these jars, and they put all these things in there, and they feed them milkweed, and they go into the chrysalis form, and then they hatch, and, and uh, they fly around our house for a while, and then they take them outside, and they set them free. And it's just really, really incredible uh, thing. When you, um, when you look at the monarch butterfly closely and take a, it is absolutely amazing. If you're not amazed by it, you probably haven't just researched it enough to see what's actually going on. When this little caterpillar, and I know this is like a little uh, biology lesson, but this caterpillar on the left, you know, designed to crawl on the ground, it eats bitter milkweed only so that it's a, a, a hindrance against predators. That's its life. And then all of a sudden, at this one point, after it's, you know, in, uh, full, finally full of all of that, it turns into this little, that, that little chrysalis. It's this, this idea of, of um, putting itself in a place where it becomes completely changed. And we see the butterfly come out. But uh, I was watching on Netflix. Uh, Netflix, uh, there's not much good on Netflix, but there is this one thing called the flight of the butterflies. If you have a chance to watch it, it's, just, it's absolutely amazing. In that little chrysalis, it's not only that all of a sudden, you know, a caterpillar grows wings. It's like its whole lung system changes from one lung system to another. It's, it's, uh, it has these little tubes in the chrysalis that make sure that air keeps going down there to keep its heart beating and keep its heart alive. Its whole digestive tract changes because it's no longer going to eat milkweed when it comes out of there. It's, it's muscle, the, the way the tendons and, and the muscles, that all changes so it'll have the ability to fly. And its eyes its eyes become compound eyes, which it didn't have before, and it totally changes. And all of that happens in 10 days. 10 days. And then it emerges, and it's something completely, completely different, completely changed. It's not a caterpillar with wings. It is this absolutely brand new creation. And that's what, that's what, that's what happens when a person becomes a follower of Christ. That part of you absolutely changes. It becomes alive. It becomes reborn. And your spirit part of you miraculously is like that transformed, completely redesigned and new. You now have um, access to, to conversation with the Lord. You can hear his voice. Your spirit's alive. The Bible says we're one spirit with him. And that's fantastic news. But how many of you know that when you decide to follow Christ and you say, well, okay, I believe that my spirit now, if you're telling me that, I believe that that happened. How many realize that the other parts of you didn't change automatically? How many know that your soul wasn't perfected immediately? You still have bad days. You still drop words that you probably wish you didn't say. You know, there's things that, there's things that you're like, oh, yeah, you know, my mind and will and emotions, they're not perfect yet. How many of you know your body didn't all of a sudden lose that 10 pounds you've been trying to lose, and now you're like, you, you accepted the Lord, and like now you're perfected? It, it didn't happen, right? There's that, there's that part that's not um, there yet. And it's like Paul's describing and saying, so when you became a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden this battle starts going on on the inside. There's this inner conflict. There's these conflicting desires because, you know, if, if you're, as your spirit becomes alive to Christ, it, there's conflict with the rest of you. It's things like this, your soul part of you, that, that your mind, your will, and your emotion says, you know what? I'm going to live healthier. You know, your soul makes that decision and then your body's like McDonald's and you drive in. It's like that conflict, right? And then, you know, your, your, um, your spirit man, your spirit man is like you start going through a difficult time, and all of a sudden, your spirit man is like, we got to pray. And your soul's like, worry! We got to worry! We got to worry! We got to worry! And your spirit man's like, no, no, we just got to pray in all things. Pray, like, and, and you have that, that conflict. There's times where you're like, your spirit man's like, 
we got to pray and study the word. I, I just want to, I want to study and, and learn and do some, spend some time in devotion with the Lord. And all of a sudden your body's like, sleep. You know, even in church sometimes it's like your spirit's like, listen, what this guy's saying, this is truth. Just keep your eyes open and your body's like, you know, what? Better today than last night. But it's this, it's this idea that as long as we're alive, there's going to be this inner battle between spirit and what, the, what, the, um, what they call um, flesh, that the desires of our, our sinful nature, the desires of our flesh, of our body, and of our, of our mind, will, and emotion that's not been transformed yet. And some people think that once they've won a battle, they think the war is over. They've conquered kind of one thing, like, ah, oh, you know, I've started following the Lord. I used to be alcoholic, and now I'm following the Lord, and I don't drink anymore. I think I'm arrived. How many of you know that Holy Spirit doesn't give up after just that? He wants to perfect you and change you into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm not there yet. You? Good. There's no hands because the truth is there's no 100% super Christians who are like, they've got it all figured out and they're not going to be wrestling. You know, the, the, the good news is we're all on the same side. The bad news is that we're all going to be fighting this, this flesh battle until the day we die. It was this, um, you know, Jesus told his disciples, he says this idea of deny yourself and take up your cross. Anybody remember what the word is for how often you're supposed to do that? Daily. Oh, every day. Deny myself, take up his cross. And that means like not my desires, but God, what you desire for my life. Seek his salvation, that spirit part of you, 100% done. If you've accepted Christ, that is 100% done. You don't have to earn a bit of it. You are already fully saved and on your way to heaven, but he wants to start doing stuff in your life now. And it's that idea of sanctification, that process of, of holiness that he's working on. It's like Holy Spirit moves in. It's like there's new ownership. He's, he moves in and it's, it's like he's transforming you to the image of Christ and your flesh hates it. It fights against it. It hates it. It's like, it's like you know, uh, when, when a company gets new ownership and all of a sudden they start changing everything and the employees are all like, this isn't the way we used to do it. And your flesh is the same way. Holy Spirit comes in. He's like, gives you new desires. Like, this isn't the way we used to do it. You know, and there's this, there's this skirmish on the inside. And sometimes it's a minor skirmish. And it's like, it's a little bit of a, you know, a resistance. A, a couple of weeks ago, I was helping this guy move. And, and uh, he needed a trailer. So I was going to drive with him to London to pick up this trailer. And we, it was online. It was a 40-foot trailer. And so we drove to London. And we got there. And it was a 28-foot trailer. I'm like, how did you guys measure that that badly? Like, and so we're just like, oh man. So, and this was the second time I went to pick up a trailer that wasn't what we thought it was. And so, as as I'm there, I'm like, oh, this is bad. Here, I just wasted, you know, all this time and my father-in-law's fuel in his truck, and I just drove all the way out out here. And and I'm like, I hope we get this trailer. And he comes back, and he's like, no, we're not taking it. I'm like, this is the second time we're not taking it. I'm like clenching the steering wheel as I'm driving home. And and all of a sudden, he looks over at me. He says, uh, are you upset? I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm a little upset, you know. It was like wasting like five hours of my, of my day. You know, it's family night tonight. I was like, but I said this. I said, but don't worry. There's a Tim Hortons on the way, and there's a, a cup of happiness there that will, I'll be better in a few minutes, right? And so I drove, uh, I drove to Tim Hortons, and, he, and I pull in. And, man, those stinking Tim Hortons on the 401, it's those en route things where you get in. There's 50 people in front of you, and they all want sandwiches. So I'm standing there, and uh, I'm waiting, and I, like, no. No lie. Sometimes we exaggerate. This is not. Ten minutes, I'm standing in line, and I moved like two spaces. And I was like, this is going to take forever. And so I'm like, oh, forget it. I'll go to the next one. So I come out, and he looks at me. He's like, you didn't get a coffee? I'm like, no. And, and uh, I'm like, but there's another one. He's like, 
he's like, really? You know, you think that if you have a coffee, that's going to make you happy? He's like, and he's like, don't you think that's a little bit odd that a cup of, you know, fluid is going to make you happy? Because I, I told him, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm hangry, right? I'm hungry, angry. There's a reason why I am justified in feeling this way. And he begins to tell me, you know, do you think God would, you know, you know feels like that? I'm like, you better not preach to me right now because I will leave you in London. And I'm like, I'm on the, ugh, right? So I'm like, I drive, I'm like, but it's, it's in my head now. I'm thinking about that, really. Like, this cup of coffee, would, would that really change me that much? And I'm like, yes, it will. And so I drive into the next, uh, next en route. Same thing. I, I come out, and, and I'm like, oh, and he says to me again, you didn't buy anything. I'm like, uh, no, but there's got to be another one. He's, he's like, how far are we away from home? I'm like, an hour and a half, but I, I need to eat, like, now. He's like, really? You think you're going to die before you make it home? I'm like, you might die before I make it home, but, you know, I was like, I was really that angry. Your flesh just gets in there, and I was like, but then I had to think about it, and I hate that. You know, I hate when, when, it, when it gets pointed out, and it's like that outside thing of realizing, I'm probably not going to die. And so then he begins giving me all this lecture on fasting and why people fast, and the whole idea of, uh, you know, it's, it's saying putting your flesh and realizing, hey, flesh, you're not the boss. You can go without food for a day. You're not going to die. Spirit man is saying, listen, I'm in control. There's different desires. We don't have to give in to every whim of the flesh. And so as I drove, I saw another Tim Hortons, and by then the conviction was so heavy on me, I just kept on driving. I made it home, and I survived. But, no, no, don't clap. It was pathetic. You know, my, my flesh, like, I was angry the whole time. But, uh, you know, that, it's, that, it's that thing that, real, that made me realize that it's those simple things in us that where our flesh fights against spirit. And it's like in that moment, I don't know if it was like a spiritual moment, but it awakens by the thought that we don't have to give in to the desire of the flesh. It's not a bad desire. You're supposed to eat. You should. If you have issues with eating, talk to somebody. But the idea is it's, it's a God-given desire, but it's not in control. It doesn't need to control us. And too often it's those desires of our flesh that we just allow them to control us. And so sometimes it's like this minor skirmish. It's a little, it's kind of a little irritating. And other times that skirmish is like UFC. You know, it's like you just feel like you're in the battle of your life and you don't know if you can resist those temptations of the flesh. And it's like, you know, it just started as coffee, ended in murder. You know, that's the, 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 it feels that strong. It can feel that strong. See, the truth is that Christ wants us to live in freedom. It's what he paid a, a huge price for. He wants us to live in freedom. But it'd be like the same idea as looking at that butterfly. Maybe we have the picture, do the butterfly picture again. It'd be like the butterfly, the monarch butterfly, coming out of that chrysalis. The monarch butterfly could still crawl on the ground if it wanted to, but it's not designed to anymore. It could go and you know, spend the rest of its life crawling on the ground because that's what it used to do, but it's been designed for so much better. It'd be the same thing as that butterfly coming out and going back to the milkweed and going back to that bitter food all the time. But it's, it's been designed for something so much better. It's been designed now to, to live on the sweet nectar of the flowers. It's, it's this, um, this, this difference. And Paul, he says, you know what? You've been designed to live in freedom. So live in that. Don't go back to the other spot. Don't try and hold on to things that are just going to bring death. And he gives them a key to living this life of freedom. And he says the key to living a life of freedom is not trying to live a life of freedom. He says don't try to, to be good. He's like that's sometimes where we get in that spot where we're like, okay, I'm a butterfly now. My spirit has changed. I need to be good. I need to behave. I need to try harder to do that. He says it's not like that. He says if you try, if you try in your own strength to, to be good, to live better, to be more Christian, he says it's, just, it's, it's that same idea of a caterpillar trying to fly without wings. There's just no way. It's impossible. So he writes them in this. 
He gives them the key to doing it, the key to winning that victory of the, the inner conflict. And he says this, Galatians 5.16, he says, I say then walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. That idea of live, fashion your life after. Life with the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's saying, you know, it's not this idea of, of uh, just trying really hard not to fulfill the desires of the flesh. He says the idea is walk in the Spirit. I love the way you use the word walk. Because it just shows the simplicity and the sheer genius of the gospel. When he says, you know what, your spirit, I've done it all. I've set it free, 100%. It's free. It's got communion, connection with me. Now just walk in that. See, the trick is that you can only walk one direction at a time. You don't believe me, try it later. Walk both ways and we'll visit you in the hospital. But the, the idea is that you can only walk one way. So it wasn't this idea of like, you know, I'm going to try really hard not to as I'm walking with Christ. I'm going to try really hard not to fulfill the desires of my flesh. He says, just walk with me because it's walking with me, walking with Holy Spirit, as opposed to walking with, you know, with the desires of your flesh. He's like, those things are polar opposite and you can only do one at a time. So he's like, well, walk in the Spirit. That's great. How do you do that? Don't miss this part. How do you do that? Well, Paul wrote the same, similar truth to the, to the followers of Christ in Rome because they probably were waffling a little bit in this as well because all the other gods that they had ever known, you had to appease them in some way. You had to do something. You had to do something to, uh, to have their favor, to have their blessing, or to have good karma or have a good life. But Paul writes to them, and he says this in Romans chapter 8, one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. He says this, those who are dominated by or live by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. Remember, he's writing to them, here's how you live in the Spirit. Like, I don't know how to live in the Spirit. He says, this is how. He says, they think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, a few chapters later, he says, don't copy the behavior or customs of the world. Don't take your cue from them, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He's writing this to believers. He's writing this to people whose spirit is already 100% transformed. So he's not telling them, hey, you need to get more saved. He's telling them that the rest of you needs to be transformed. That, that flesh desire that's fighting and attacking you, that part of you needs to be transformed. And he says, he gives us a key idea. I put it in yellow so that you might figure out which ones, which ones it is. But the words are think. And in the mind, the transformation battle happens between the ears. It's this idea of, he says, set your mind on. Those who want to live by the Spirit, they set their mind on things of the Spirit. They determine intentionally to think about, about spiritual things. See, our minds... They don't just naturally um, think about uh, uh, good stuff. I don't know if you know that. They, they tell us that, that um, of all of your thoughts, 75% of them are negative without you even doing anything about it. They just, we're just kind of prone to that, to that uh, process. The other thing, too, is you can't stop yourself from thinking something. If you're wrestling with something, Paul doesn't say, hey, you know, stop thinking about those, those, uh, those fleshly things because we, we can't just stop thinking about things. I don't know about you, but I lay awake sometimes at night because i got a whole lot of stuff to do the next day, and I can't go to sleep. There's no, like, off button. And, you know, like, I'm, Beth will be like, would you just go to sleep? I'm like, oh, I can't. i got to think about all this stuff. Well, just stop thinking about it. And it's like, okay. <laughs> And you laugh because you know it doesn't work, right? And then you finally drift off to sleep and at 5.30 in the morning you wake up and you start thinking about it all and it's all stuff I can't do at 5.30 in the morning. I try and convince myself, just sleep, just sleep, just sleep. You can't because our minds aren't, uh, they don't work that way. It's impossible. But um, Paul is saying it's the same, in that same thought, 
He's, he's saying, I'm not telling you to, to focus on the things of the flesh or just to really um, uh, think about those things in order to try and change them or to just, just try and stop thinking about that. He says this, you know, as he's writing to them, they're reminded of the areas in their life that they're not yet transformed. He's writing to them for that reason. And what happens for us, we tend to put undue focus on those things. We begin to think about behavior modification. And he's saying that's not what this is all about. He's like, we don't, he said, I don't want you to, stop to, to be thinking, oh, I gotta stop doing that. I gotta stop that pride. I gotta, I gotta stop being irritated with my kids. I gotta stop slamming my husband. I gotta stop, you know, whatever it is. He says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 at the end. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. As he's writing this to them, he says, hey, this is, this is how the Spirit works in our lives. And what we all of a sudden want to try and do is like, okay, if I'm a follower of Christ, i got to be more patient. I've got to be more kind. I've got to be more loving. I've got to try and make sure I do all of this, this stuff. And it's like we traded in the Ten Commandments for Nine Commandments. we got the new Nine ones here of I've got to be more loving. And, and, and you try really hard to do that. What the design of all of this was, Paul's not saying, hey, try and do this. He's saying, if you realize there's things that are happening in your flesh, that's just an outward indicator of something that's going on in your heart. He's saying the idea of, of, of seeing how this works is focusing on Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like you, don't, you don't control all your reactions, but if you listen to, and to, to what you say when you react, it's telling you something about your heart. If you watch how you react to things, it's telling you something about what's really going on in your heart. I went golfing this week with my father-in-law, and golf is just like a great way to find out where you're at spiritually. So as I went out uh, walking the course, and, you know, we're, 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 every time there was like money on a hole, it was just terrible. And then uh, uh, the worst thing you can do is go golfing with somebody who thinks it's really funny to videotape you when you don't know what's going on. And so this one spot, I, I was there, and I was ready to golf and, and make a shot, and I hit the ground for like the 50th time that day, and I was killing my elbows because I was a tennis elbow already. And, and I hit the thing like oh and I drop the club and I run the 10 feet to get the ball and I bring it back and there he is smiling behind his camera last week he put my picture up at sweets corners with a crazy hairstyle this week I believe the sermon I know you saw that that wasn't me uh that was Beth uh this I this this same thought of you know it's gonna end up somewhere it's like oh you know what I don't want to I don't want my flesh on display right but it's just an outward indicator because, you know, every time, that was probably the 10th time, I'm like, you know, next time I'm not going to throw my club. Next time I'm not going to, like, you know, under my breath. It was this thing. But, you know, it's reaction. It's just showing you some of the stuff that's going on in your heart. And Paul's reminding them when he says in verse 16, he says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Don't try and fight this flesh battle. It's a battle. But don't try and fight against the flesh. You will, you will lose. You cannot do it on your own. He reminds them that it's focusing on the Spirit. Uh, in April of this year, this Air India Dreamliner uh, it's a massive airplane. This, uh, this airplane was uh, turned around and had to land uh, back at the, at the airport it took off from in India. And uh, it had happened, this had happened three times in the last year, in December, and it happened in July of last year as well. It was they had to force uh, this plane to land because they had uh, um, something hostile on board. And after they had landed the plane, they found out that it was a, there was a rat on board, and that's why they had to land the plane, because if the, if the rat got into the, into the wiring or chewed some of the wiring, it caused danger for everybody on board. So three times they've had to land a plane because the rats in India don't want to live in India anymore. And so they're hopping on, hopping on planes. Uh, uh, and so then they fumigate the plane, put all the people on a new plane, and, uh, and, and keep having them take off. They land the plane, totally changes everything simply because there was a rat on board. 
And uh, it reminded me of a story that I heard at a conference years ago by a guy named David McFarland told the story of a, of a guy just flying an airplane, a single single uh, uh, person airplane. As he's flying the airplane, he all of a sudden realizes steering is, isn't working quite as, uh, as, as normal, and uh, it's just not responding the same way. And he looks back in the fuselage of his plane, and he, he sees a rat chewing on the wires that control the back rudder. And so as he realizes as he's in danger, if, if the, the rat chews through the wires, he's going down, and they're going to die. So he thinks through his head, I can go back into the fuse, I'll put it on autopilot, I'll go back there and kill that rat. But he says, if, if, if I don't get there in time, or if it doesn't work out, or the plane's autopilot functions, well, then we're both going to die. And so then he has this thought, and he has this idea, and he grabs his oxygen tank that's sitting there beside him, and he puts the oxygen mask on, and he begins to fly as high as he can. As he flies up to 30,000 feet where there's not enough oxygen for the rat, the rat ends up dying. And, there's an inc- and, and he's saved. There's an incredible truth in that story. Because in our lives, as we're living our lives, and we've all got rats in the fuselage back there, that thing called flesh that's trying to take us out, trying to take us down, the answer is not to go back and deal with the rat. The answer is to put on the oxygen mask and fly higher. And Paul says it's the same thing. It's that idea of focus on the Spirit. Don't worry about so much what's going on with your flesh. Focus on life with Holy Spirit every single day. Because as you do that, you, as you walk that way, you walk away from that. As you fly higher and feed your spirit, man, it starves out that flesh that's battling on the inside. See, so he says, set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Do you realize that your spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, your spirit desires the word? It does. It desires to know God's word. Your spirit desires time with your heavenly father, fellowship, relationship with him. Your spirit desires to worship and be in communion with God, but he's not always that loud. I don't know if you've ever been hungry and your stomach's growling and people around you can hear it. That's always kind of a little awkward feeling, right? It's, uh, uh, that's the same thing for many. Your spirit, man, is, is growling. The only indicators you have of that is the things that are kind of going on in your life. You're like, oh, I hate when I do. I hate when I do. I, I hate when I do that. But he says this idea is to feed that spirit man. And by feeding that spirit man, you'll starve that flesh. And he says this, you do it by setting your mind on things of the spirit. What is that? It's a mind that's set on the spirit. It changes the heart, transforms the heart. And that's what he's all about because a transformed heart desires what God desires. And there's no need for rules. There's no need for laws in your life. There's no need for all the stuff you're holding on to because, because simply that changes everything. Last thought, reading Mere Christianity and C.S. Lewis talks about repentance. And a lot of times what we think about repentance is we're on our way this way and like, you know, life's not good. And somebody gives you a chance to follow Christ. And like that moment, you're like, yeah, I'm turning away from my life of my past. And I'm going to follow Jesus Christ from here on in. And we think that moment is what we would call repentance. And C.S. Lewis describes it and said this in this way, that that moment is just the start. That repentance is the journey of every day saying, you know what, my mind is changed from this point to desire what Christ desires, not to follow what I desire, and to walk out this idea of repentance. And he says it's interesting because it's, all, it's bad men who need repentance. It's people going this way that need repentance. He says, but it's only good men who can actually live out repentance. Living out every day that desire following Christ instead of me, That takes a good man. And he says, so it leaves us in a spot because none of us are good enough to walk that way on our own. And he says, but all of us are on this way are the ones needing it. And he says, it's why he designed it this way, that life with the Spirit, life with Holy Spirit, life with Jesus Christ is the only way that you can actually walk that out in your everyday. You're not designed to do Christian life without Christ. You're not designed to do Christian life without Christ. 
And so he's saying, don't try and be a better person. Don't try to make it to at least as many Sunday services as you can in a month. Don't try to, you know, be better behaved. He says, none of that is what this is about. It's about live a life with Christ, asking him to transform your heart. Change my heart, oh God, because out of that will come a changed life. It will be the response. So I leave you three questions today. First one. Maybe today is the day for you that you're at this point where you're realizing my life, I've been living my life this way, and I just kind of come to this church and heard this thing. But for you, it's this thought of, I've just been living for me this whole time, and it doesn't work. And you're like, if it's possible that there's a God who could forgive me, if it's possible that my past can be washed away, this thing about being alive on the inside, like that's something that I, that I want. Maybe that moment for you is today where you just simply decide, God, I, I don't know all the answers yet, but I know that I want to follow you, and you make that first step of that decision to, to change. For some of you this morning, maybe as we talked about the stuff that you're holding on to, maybe there was something in there that just triggered in your heart. And he's not saying, hey, you better go deal with that stuff that you're holding on to. He's simply saying, would you let it go? Would you let go of the unforgiveness? Would you just let go of the pride? Would you let go of the trying to impress me? Would you just let go of that because it's going to bring death in your life? And the last thought, maybe you're here this morning, and as we talked about that spiritual hunger, your spirit's hungry. To me, it's tragedy when followers of Christ don't spend any time reading the Word. It just doesn't make any sense. And for some, it's like, well, I don't understand the Bible. For you this morning, maybe you're here and like, you know what, that's me. This is part of me on the inside that just I know that I need His Word in my life. Find a way. Find a way to be intentional about setting your mind on, on, uh, on Him, on, on the Word. Uh, with, there's some great Bible studies that are going to be starting here that are going to help you walk that out. Right now, media's got some things. You know what? It's why we need a group. We need people around us to, to help us as we can ask questions and understand and, and see that explained. But it takes, it takes us. It takes each one of us making those decisions. Because for all three of those things, there's only one person who can do that. I can't do it for you. No one else can. But you can do it for you. So as Paul wrote to them, he said, you know what? You were running well. I don't want that to be said about me. I don't want to be like someday at the end of my life, well, you, you were doing good, but now. <laughs> he says, intentionally set your mind on the things of the Spirit. He says, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That race will be run the way it was designed to be. I want to leave you with that today and just leave you with this challenge. Don't do nothing. Don't do nothing. If there's been something that triggers in your heart, don't do, don't, I know that's not good grammar. We'll change that. Do something, all right? So... <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, for your word this morning. Thank you that even after all this time, it's living, it's powerful, it, it speaks to us. Thankful for that. Father, I thank you that you did what we couldn't do and that we were never intended to do it. Uh, help us to remember that and just to live in that freedom of life with you. So it's just a reminder for us again today as we go from this place that we're not leaving you here. We're doing life with you. This is part of it and the rest is too. Help us remember that. Help us to look to you in every situation uh, and just to, to realize that, uh, Lord, you want to lead and direct our lives. Thank you for the peoples uh, that we'll come across today. Would you, would you give us the words to say to show uh, your hope and your love to them as well? Thank you for this amazing family. Pray you bless them today for uh, just uh, being t- connected and encouraging to one another. Pray they go out and change the world. Thank you for that, Lord. It's in your amazing name we pray. Amen.